Yo, everybody, welcome to the Ednium Podcast, where we have real conversations with the amazing talent in Denver's backyard to inform the system and change the game for the next generation. I hope you're thriving. Let's go. And we're live. Good afternoon. Almost afternoon. How are you? I'm great. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, I'm happy you're here. I feel like a... You know, I was kind of like anxious all weekend waiting for for these interviews. Like it means a lot that you would give not only me, but like the community and the collective and all the alumni. Like it means a lot that you would give us your time. So I appreciate you. That's sweet. I got to say, it means so much to me that people give me the time to talk to you. Uh, So thank you. Yeah. How does that feel? Like everybody wants (laughs) to talk to you right now. How how are you managing that? Um, You know, I feel so much gratitude. Uh, I think... When you've never seen someone do the thing successfully you're trying to do, mm. uh, that that kind of demand on your time and people's desire to talk with you and share their view truly feels like honor. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel really honored that people want to talk and yeah. help me think about this opportunity and how I can make it the best for all of us. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Well, let's, I always let the guests introduce themselves. Who are we talking to today? I'm Kelly Bruff and I'm a candidate for Denver mayor. Hey, with can the you smile that kills, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm excited for this conversation. And, you know, like I said, before we started, uh, really want the people to know, I think so much, so often, like in these elections, it's, you know, we have our sound bites. We know what we're going to say. We, everybody's going to formulate their opinion early on. And, you know, ultimately people are wondering like, you know, who they want to choose to do this job. But I think it's important about the person that we're talking to. Um, Tell me a little bit about your story. Walk me through Hmm. kind of the journey of how we got to sitting at this table now. Yeah. When you get old like me, you're going to find out it's the journey that shapes every single value and priority you have in your life. Right. So I appreciate being asked uh, because it is my journey that puts me here with you. Yeah. Um, so things, I, I grew up in Montana. I was born in Montana. Um, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a short period, and that's where uh, my father was murdered. Hmm. Um, it was before I was a year old, and a lot of people are like, well, you don't really remember it, but I can tell you this. It takes a long time for a family to put the pieces of their life back okay. together. Um, even I even remember in high school, we got a phone call that said, you know, do you all want to like protest, you know, the man who was accused and and found guilty of killing my father, like his ability to get out of prison. And, Hmm. and my family was like, no, we don't, you know, his life has been as devastated as ours. Um, uh, so it just doesn't go away. And I look around Denver today and I think I have particular sensitivity to how devastating what people are experiencing today is. Yeah. My mom moved us back to Montana, where her family was, and we lived with them for a while. Um, Ultimately, she remarried the man who I consider my father today. Uh, He adopted me when I was about nine years old. Uh, It was the same time I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. So for... Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, Yeah, you know, what sucks about that is um, I was told for the first 10 10 years of my life I was stupid, Hmm. you know. Because that's what happens when you don't learn the same as everybody else. And it was a third grade teacher who figured it out. And, you know, I didn't know it then, but she saved my life, literally. Mm. We know today, right, reading at grade level in third grade is a predictor of graduation. And and if you're going to get involved in the criminal justice system, that's the pipeline. And that teacher changed the course of my life. I'm so Mm. grateful. And I have such 
strong feelings about the importance of public schools because of it, because that's the only way I think most of our kids are educated today, and it's the way I got educated. And yeah. um, I'm committed uh, to working with you yeah. and figuring out how we ensure our kids in Denver get the same opportunities. I love that. How did she, uh, how did she catch it? Yeah. What was that conversation like? So I remember she said, uh, Kelly, read it. We were in third grade starting to read like paragraphs and I was trying to memorize what everybody said and then mm. just repeat it. Yeah. And I was pretending like, I didn't know I was faking, but I'd pretend like they were doing their finger following, yeah. <laughs> but my finger wasn't on the words. Uh, right. I didn't know which word was which. Yeah. And she is like, gave me a whole new book that nobody had read when we were alone, like during recess or something. She had me come in and, and she was like, honey, I, I think you haven't, you're not going to learn like everybody else. My huh. dyslexia is auditory. And so phonics is the way you were taught to read when yeah. I was a kid. And that totally did not work for me. And yeah. she just used a whole different method and, and it worked, got it done. That reminds me of, you ever see drumline? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was just he was memorizing the thing. And like, the thing is, that was a gift, though. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was a gift he had. So. And you develop other skills. Yeah. You know, like, I think uh, I, um, my verbal skills are much better because that's all I had. You know, yeah. still, I'm not a speedy reader. I can read. Yeah. Um, uh, writing is still harder for me, but talking, I'm like, I got that down. I got that, yeah. <laughs> That's my mom. My mom used to always be like, son, uh, your mouth is either going to make you president or land you in jail. I was like, oh, dang. You know? I choose the former. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, I mean, telling the stories, speaking, like that's how we've naturally like passed on generational wisdom and knowledge and everything. So I'm glad we got that. And now you're here. Yeah, yeah so true. How did you, how'd you end up in Colorado and Denver specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So the story, uh, the story continued a little rough for a while. My dad was a laborer, like a welder on mm -hmm. pipelines and he was injured and he couldn't work. So my family faced losing everything, um, like trying to keep a roof over our head and food on the table. And we received government assistance. Uh, and you know, for so many decades after that, we didn't even talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like so much shame. But the older I get, I've never met anybody who didn't get help from somebody. For real, yeah. Uh, just some of us need it from government. Yeah. And it took a long time to let that shame go. Um, but in high school, I met a man, uh, Mike, and uh, he was Ojibwe. <laughs> and we fell in love and we married. Um, and in 1980, we married in 1985 and we moved to Colorado in 1986 because... Rural Montana is just a tough place for an indigenous man and a white woman. So we came to Denver with this sense of a big city and all the promise. And Denver really did embrace us. Yeah. It was And it great. wasn't as big back then. Was no, it, it was <laughs> not. And it was not exactly thriving back then either. Huh. Um, but it was great. We just, you know, I don't know. I think we were starting fresh, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, people didn't care that we were, a, you know, mixed race couple, um, we went back to school, uh, both of us did, and graduated. We got good jobs. We started small businesses. We weren't hugely successful. The come up. Yeah, yeah, it was all the things, you know, frankly, that I dreamt of. And we bought a home, mm. which is transformational for families. You know, this is how we build wealth. It changed our lives. Um, and that's how we got to Denver. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when uh, 
was there fear coming to Denver? Oh my gosh. Yeah. We were both really afraid. It was like the city city, you know, our yeah. town was 10,000 people. Huh. So it was really a city, but once we got here, it didn't feel scary at all. Honestly, yeah. you know, it was the driving that felt the most scary. <laughs> and then once you figured that out, and I also think, um, we really were embraced. People didn't really care hmm. that, you know, we were different races and they were intrigued by Mike, unlike where we grew up. You know, he hmm. suffered huge racism where we grew up. Yeah, I bet. Hmm. So what made you stay? Yeah, I think um, jobs, we built family. Um, uh, six months after we had our oldest daughter, uh, my mom and dad moved to Denver to help us raise our kids. And I think that might've sealed the yep, deal. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Tell me a little bit about your career. Cause you're somebody mm -hmm. I look at and say like, wow, what you can accomplish in life. Um, <laughs> what made you decide to get on the journey that you were on, especially in your previous position? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, I've held so many jobs. I feel it. don't worry, I can hold a job, <laughs> uh, but I've had a lot of them. Um, so when I came to Denver, my undergraduate was sociology, and I basically worked in social work hmm. uh, at a treatment center in Aurora called Excelsior. Hmm. And it was with young women who'd been adjudicated in the system, uh, but were basically begin, given a chance to go to high school and graduate and kind of turn their life around. No. And you know what's great about doing something like that is you realize um, there isn't this big line between their life and where they're at and how lucky I got. Yeah, for real. You realize it, it is, you know, but for some serious grace go I. Yeah. So, um, but I was earning $12,000 a year. <laughs> and you're like, poof, I don't know if we can live on this even back then. So I decided everybody was getting a master's in social work and I decided to get an MBA instead. And I thought maybe I could get to the business side of this. And for me, math and science, you know, is way easier. So yeah. I was like, ah, the finances, I'll do way better. So I got an MBA. Huh. I got my first job with the city of Denver. Nobody goes to work for government with an MBA. <laughs> yeah. I just go get that paper. <laughs> but I guess we're going from 12,000, you know, it's a little yeah, bit Yeah, to a whopping like 13,000 or yep. something. Um, but my first job was with the city of Denver and I got to do some really cool stuff. Uh, I worked in the HR department and so I helped build a performance evaluation system that the city had never had um, to help identify, you know, when an employee might need help or support, yeah. when they're performing great. Um, What's I, interesting, that seems really connected to sociology and the work you did in the past, too. Totally connected, yeah. right? Yeah. It was all about people. Uh, that's where I plowed snow on the runways of our old airport. Uh, which was a fantastic experience. That does actually seem fun. Yeah, yeah it was cool. I, I was basically evaluating this guy's job and I said, you know, you're an equipment operator, not a heavy equipment operator, so you're not going to be paid as much as you want. And he is really mad. Yeah. And so I said, well, you know what? You're right. I don't know this job very well. And I went and got my CDL hmm. and ended up testing uh, high enough in a city program that they invited me to be the only woman to plow snow at Dang. Stapleton International Airport. I did it for about three years huh. at night. Yeah, it was great. So sociology major, MBA, <laughs> CDL. Like you, yeah. you, you hit all those, you hit all the boxes. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, we underrate curiosity, I for think, sure. right? Being curious and just wanting to learn is such a great thing. Yeah. 
Um, I went from there to the Denver City Council. I worked for all 13 members of council. Hmm. I got to do some cool stuff. We like analyzed the financial impact of having Major League Baseball in Denver. Um, it was it was a great job. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. And then I went and did a bunch of mediation work. Um, uh, it was I was part of the University of Colorado at Denver, mm-hmm. uh, but in a center. So we had to like you know pitch work and bring in clients. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience for me. Um, but I did a ton of mediation. Hmm. And I thought, this is how I want to make my living for the rest of my life, because uh, people handle conflict so poorly. Yep. Uh, like, they either, right, it's totally avoid it or mm-hmm. lose their mind. Yep. Um, I see that in the neighborhood all the time. All yeah. the time. So I did that. Uh, and then um, a good friend was running for mayor, and it was not John Higginlooper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know John Higginlooper. Uh, and uh, I was trying to help her. Um and we failed miserably. Hmm. And then I ended up getting a job back with the city as the head of HR in the Hickenlooper administration. Hmm. And then moved on. They brought on. you in even though you worked against them, huh? Yeah. Well, this is interesting. The head of HR in the city is not hired by the mayor. It's hmm. hired by an independent board, five-member board, who ha- is appointed by the mayor, but was appointed by the previous mayor. Yeah. And they had a vacancy and were hiring at the same time Hickenlooper's team was coming in. And they hired me mm. as he was coming into office. And wow. so I worked with him. Yeah, even yeah. after I ran a campaign against him. <laughs> um, and then I became his deputy chief of staff and chief mm. of staff. And went from there. How did yeah. you, I'm, I'm interested, how did you make the jump from CDL to working for city council? Yeah. And I'm asking these questions because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of alumni that we talk to, students, shoot, myself included sometimes, feel like you're stuck in whatever it is you're doing right now. Yeah. And I think the story you just shared demonstrated that, you know, with the proper guidance and support or what was it that allowed you to explore and to really, like, leverage that curiosity you had? This is such a good question. Uh, every jump I've made in my life that was a big change to mm-hmm. my career, somebody else saw my capacity to do it before I did. Hmm. Who you surround yourself with really matters, right? Having people around you. And so in this case, it was my boss, Mm. um, who was the head of the career service system, the HR system, when I was driving on the runways, said to me, you'd be a really good analyst at Denver City Council. And my response was, I'm not that smart. Mm. I can't do that. And he really pushed me and said, I'm going to help you prepare your application. I got an interview and I got the job. Yeah. And I, I think that's not unusual, especially for women, maybe people of color, where we're like, I don't see a lot of me over there, mm-hmm. so I probably don't belong there. Mm-hmm. And it takes somebody else who says, I see you over there yeah. um, to encourage us to go for it. And then the question is, is like, how do we get more people to believe it when that's yeah. told? Right. Yeah. Like, um, the amount of people I say, like, yo, look, I got you got it. Like, I trust you. You got this. But I can't make you believe it. You know what I mean? It's so true. It's so true. I think um, maybe some of it, too, is uh, when I was little, my mom used to say, there's a big difference between a loss and a regret. Hmm. A loss is you go for something and you don't get it, and you go out to drinks with your friends and trash talk the people who didn't hire you. (laughs) I am really good at that, if you ever need that. Um, A regret is you didn't go for it at all. Yeah. 
And I think when people remind you, you don't want to regret this one. It'd yeah. be better to deal with it as a loss, not get in it, mm -hmm. going for it and losing than to not go for it at all. 100%. Maybe that helps people do it. I don't know. Yeah. The question is, and this is a little bit off topic, but we're seeing like how our education system is set up right now. It's not set up to encourage that, right? It doesn't encourage. Or to encourage, learn that lesson yeah. early. You it know? doesn't encourage risk-taking. Exactly. Right? Where risk-taking we say is not rewarded. And I'm like, that's so ridiculous. That's the only way you get the rewards. Yeah, by taking that leap. I started a nonprofit in a pandemic for some reason. Yes, I'm, I'm a crazy person, but because I believe the people around me. And that's really what we're trying to do around Ednium is like, how do we get enough of us, these DPS alumni, people that look like us, people that came from our community to wrap around and say, no, nah, you got it, bro. And we got, we could pick you up. You know mm. what I mean? And so we're really trying to figure out, and we'll get into that a little bit later around how do we start to build that intentionally, collectively as a city. Let's spend one more minute on this because yeah. you hit on something that I think it took me a while to learn. And that is a lot of success when you take on a new role comes because people decide they're going to help you be successful. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about that very much. We don't talk about setting people up and committing ourselves to ensure someone's going to be successful. We treat it like it's all on you. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how it works. And I wonder if that's part of how you're, you get more willing to do it if you feel like there's people on the other side who are going to stand with you and help yeah. you get through the, especially this beginning part of it. Yeah. Where you feel the like uncertainty. You, yeah. Yeah. And you got people helping you row to get to the other side. Where That'll you're be like, honest. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people that'll check you, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. How do you, how do you build that mechanism in? I was at this, uh, presentation thing. I had no business being on this stage. I guess that's the imposter syndrome popping up. But like, how do you do? I was like, look, man, I have a grandma who won't love me any less if I go and kick a dog and won't love me anymore if I become like the president of the United States. Mm. You know, she's going to love me constant. Everything else will work itself out as long as I got Grandma Betty. You know what That's I mean? That's so beautiful. But it's important. Like how many, so important. how many people have that? Um, and the next question we actually had is, you know, you went through a lot of trials and tribulations. Who, who gave you hope? Who gave you that confidence coming up? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I suppose my own family, but I'm going to flip it a little bit. Like I have deep respect for my mom and what she's come through in her life and navigated. Um, but I'm going to tell you, I think the hardest thing I went through in my life is uh, my husband struggled with an addiction our entire life together. We were together. We were married for 25 years together, much longer. And uh, my girls and I lost him to suicide. Mm. And what got me through that was looking at my daughters and realizing they need me more than ever. Hmm. Uh, they need me to navigate the challenge of addiction when he was still with us. And they need me to navigate the pain and loss mm -hmm. uh, of addiction when he wasn't. And I, I think there is a part of that that is inspiring too, where, you know, uh, every single day as a parent, you think about how do I protect my kids from pain and Yep. And trauma, and and the truth is, as much as we all want to believe we can, we can't. Mm -hmm. What we can do uh, is help them figure out how to navigate it. And right. um, and so I I would have to credit my daughters, who are just two beautiful human beings, who uh, trusted completely that the people around them would help them navigate the greatest mm -hmm. loss they faced in their life when they were young. Um, and I think it made me rise up to be a better person because yeah. I needed to be. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry for that, but there's a lot of beauty you found in that yeah. in a real way. Yeah. Um, we ask a lot of students, we do these uh, high school, 
what we call our design labs, like qualitative report. And we ask every student, like, is there someone in your community that like you see as successful? Or is there somebody that gives you hope? Um, in our last board meeting, we asked, you know, who gave you hope? And mm -hmm. it's, it's been crazy how many kids are like, yo, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't see anyone that came from here that, you know, was successful, however they define success, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's, it's intriguing to me because a lot of the conversations we've been having in education and society, I think, writ large, it kind of, a lot of it boils down to whether or not somebody has hope and faith and a vision. Hundred percent. You know, and so I agree. How do we how do we build that? <clears throat> so. Yeah, and community is <coughs> way bigger part than we often acknowledge, right? Okay. When I tell my story, a lot of times people say you're you're so resilient and strong, and yeah, that resilience came because there were a lot of people around me mm -hmm. who rolled in hard yeah. uh, when my family needed them and. I'll be honest, a big part of, for me today, I look around what so many in Denver are struggling with today, and I feel like the next mayor has a job of saying, I got you. Mm. I'm going to hold you. There, mm. I, see, I see your resiliency. I see your strength. Mm -hmm. I see your future. I have hope. Yeah. And I'm going to help reinstate it and instill it in you. 100%. I remember my dad saying... And I ain't going nowhere, so get used to it. You can be mad all you want, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because you kind of need that steadfastness in it of like, we're not running, you know? Yeah. Even if it gets hard, we're here. We're strong. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So why why mayor? Mm. And yeah, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I described when Mike and I came here and we had our girls and all the things that we were able to do. I call it the promise of Denver. We saw it, even in tough times, even through tough times for our own family, we still saw the promise of this city. And I think like so many in Denver today, I don't, I don't think it's there. I can't look at my own daughters and be like, wow, you can make a home here, raise your kids, find your future. I don't think they can. Uh, but I think it's possible. I think we can restore it. And so for me, running really became about, I want to res restore the promise I saw as I raised my own kids here. Yeah. Define for me that promise. Yeah. This is where your family can build wealth mm. by owning a home. Your kids get the education that they get to create their future and their path. Um, you feel safe. Mm. Uh, that you achieve your dreams and your hopes and you have a community that's helping you do it. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean it's all sunshine and roses. I know part of promise is the pain uh, of life, but the promise is we're going to be right here with you through the pain of that life too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how I see it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so you, you kind of, you might've touched on this already, but what, what assumption did you have going in? Like what assumptions did you have about the city? I know we heard about the promise. We mm -hmm. heard about a lot of different things, but like walking into the race, what assumption did you have that you now have to question? Mm, that I'm questioning. Um, well, I suppose uh, it's flipped a little. Like, this is interesting. My first assumption was every family has faced the same challenges that mine has. Mm. And then I was like, ah, not every family has faced, you know, mm -hmm. those challenges. Um, and, and people's, you know, so like in some parts of our city, public safety is like, just send me more cops, man. I'd like about 400 of them and it's going to go great. Yeah. And in other parts of our city, I would say it's the, 
you know, we're over-policed, our kids are pulled over, we're, and so, you know, I knew both of those things could be true at the same time, mm -hmm. but to see them played out so intensely mm -hmm. uh, really caused me to stop and say, how do you govern mm -hmm. in a city where both of those things are true at the same time? Um, even if my own reality was what, it, so this is interesting, right? My reality was a little of both of those things mm -hmm. where uh, we have, my husband and I had two daughters. Um, I have two daughters. Uh, one is white passing and one was not, mm. is not. And that means as a mom and a dad, we had to help our younger daughter think differently about what her experience was going to be on this planet because we didn't want her to internalize some of the issues. And so to some degree, I came in with an expectation probably that people had seen these mm. two truths yeah, more yeah, yeah. clearly, no matter which side they were on. Yeah. And I think what I had to adjust is um, people often are experiencing one of those truths yeah. and not the other. Yeah. And the job of mayor is to help point out how both can be true and we can, we can govern a city recognizing both of those things to be true. Sounds like a mediation experience. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, love it. How do you define success? Mm. Um, I guess I'm, I'm going to make this a little bit of a comment. How do you define success? How has that changed over time? And like, does your current definition align with what school told you it should be? Mm. Oh, my goodness. School was very clear about this. Success was the more money you made. Hmm. That's how I saw it when I was a kid. I was like, okay. Even the people that were introduced to us when I was in school were <laughs> like, you know, the doctors and the lawyers in, yeah. the, in your little town and... I was like, all right, I know what success looks like now. I probably bought into it because so much of my family's pain and challenge came from not having any resources or so mm -hmm. limited um, that that scarcity mindset felt like it really was what success was about. The older I get, the more you, you realize, listen, it, it is about that too. I don't want to take away. Yeah. Uh, if I can't feed my kids, it doesn't matter what else is going well. Um, uh, but what I have adjusted is my recognition that success is about, you know, this, um, I guess for me now is impact on people's lives. Like it's actually maybe others finding a path to that opportunity. And that's probably the privilege that comes from being able to have the resources in my own life where I don't feel the scarcity, where I can take care of my family, mm -hmm. um, and it's the benefit of turning to and saying what success really feels like is the more people I can get to feeling the way I feel. Yeah, yeah. And again, my question is, how do we get schools to start to ask that question? Um, we, we ask this question a lot at Adnium. I think um, it's interesting how often it comes up. We've been thinking about like, how does the school system measure that success? Um, what we found is like a lot of times we're arguing over like things like inputs. Right. So there's been this like mismanaged expectation around if you just do this thing, then everything's going to be cool. And then you got a lot of people coming from the neighborhood where it's not holding up, you know, really quickly. So we're saying, all right, if the purpose of school is to make sure kids have the skills, knowledge and agency to define and achieve success for themselves. Um, how do we start to measure life outcomes as a city mm. as opposed to measuring and arguing and fanning the flames of arguments that are more about inputs rather than long-term life outcomes for our kids. How do we, how do we build that as a city? Mm -hmm. 
This is such a good, uh, I love this conversation. One of the things I've done in almost every job I've been in is uh, a, a confidential survey of morale hmm. uh, of the teams that I'm responsible for. Where they get to say, and boy, these are really stressful if you're the manager. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're so valuable because what you discover is how happy are you here? Hmm. And yeah, some of that happiness can come from money and some of the happiness, but what you start to discover is often people's sense of happiness or joy or achieving what they want to achieve, their definition of success comes from a lot of other things like hmm. the autonomy to make decisions in the workplace or... Yeah. I don't see it that different for our own residents. Hmm. You know what? We all have different definitions of happiness and joy yeah. and success. And so what if I just let you tell me, hmm. do you feel like your city's working for you? Yeah. Do you feel happy? Uh, are you achieving your version of success and joy? And, and then we try to focus on, you know, where it becomes more about you instead of about me telling you when you mm -hmm. should be happy. Or you should be happier because fewer people are in poverty. And it's like, yeah, well, we're still not happy. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I'm still eating these, you know, this ramen today, you know. Yeah, that's right. I also think this is where probably I just need help, hmm. you know, from big minds that are thinking about how, what should it look like? How should we be measuring what success looks like? Yeah. I, I measure it by things in my own, you know, part of running for mayor is this notion that the zip code you're born in is the number one determinant of where things end for you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I just, I can't accept it. You know, my zip code, I did change my position. You did. I built some social capital there and got myself going, but because community got me going, mm -hmm. I didn't do it by myself. So a big part of my measure of success is, you know, did I, did I, did our kids get to move out of the zip codes they were trying to move out of? Yeah. Um, and I think that is a outcome measure. And I want to be the first city in the nation where people say, holy smokes, I don't know what they're doing in Denver, but their kids are moving. Yeah. Yeah. Or staying home and building at home. Or they're, re they're changing the zip code. Yeah. They're changing right? the zip code itself. 100%. That's exactly right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Change the zip code. That can mean both things. Yeah. I think we just came up with a rap lyric. You know I like gotta, it. <laughs> like you could change your zip code or you could change, change your, your zip, zip code. code. <laughs> yep. We call that bars, <laughs> Kelly. Come on now. That makes me mad. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the conversations too, because, you know, I know you all have been called in and all the craziness around Denver Public Schools and everybody's asking mayoral control. I'm not asking for any of that. What we're looking at is like okay, the city and the school district should care about whether or not these kids have been able to change their zip code, but no one's measuring it. You know, um, how do we, how do we actually measure if that is happening? And I like this idea of like the morale survey. How do you do that at a large scale? And then how do you start to build intentional programs for saying, yo, our homegrown talent that we spend all this money on to send to our public educational system, are they actually prepared to be full participants in our city's democracy and economy? Mm -hmm. Um, and that might be a way that the city can help hold the school mm. district accountable to whether or not they're accomplishing their goals. That's where I think interests align, right? I totally agree. How do we break through the traditional back and forth that mm -hmm. we're seeing in education? You know, all healthy relationships I have in my life, mm -hmm. uh, have a combination of accountability and support. Yeah. I see... DPS in the city and county of Denver as needing to hold each other accountable mm -hmm. and support each other to what we're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, I, I think about it, um, 
I'm a huge believer uh, in, you know, I had to work in high school and I mm-hmm. think probably many of our kids in DPS yeah. have to work through high school. But we know in other nations uh, in the world, being able to work in different industries and professions and experiences. I mean, listen, when I came out of high school, I was like, I think there's two jobs, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and they were your typical, you know, I could be mm-hmm. a teacher or yeah. I can be a, you know, a lawyer. And yeah. I was like, I can't afford a lawyer. So I think I'll, um, and what you discover is there's so much more. So one of the ways I think I could partner as mayor is Denver has thousands of jobs up 13,000 in this year's budgets. Mm-hmm. And about 10% of them we can't fill. Hmm. What if we transitioned those to part-time jobs where every single kid in Denver Public Schools could work for the city? Hmm. Or if I'm really successful, a private employer Hmm. in different industries, just to experience it, doing real work, being paid, just so we're really clear, everybody's paid. But two days a week, they're earning and learning, trying different professions, doing real work, contributing to our residents. Um, and then three days a week they go to high school and what we start to do is open their world, mm-hmm. their experience, you know, their own kind of portfolio of skills. Yeah. I think that would include, you know, working with organizations that are helping people with startups and mm. become entrepreneurs and, you know, where our kids really start to be exposed to the range of choices before them yeah. and to the skill sets and, I think that's something I could do very concretely. I've already met with the superintendent to say, I'd like to head in this direction with you. Because I think it's excited. Yeah, he seemed yeah. very excited. Yeah. And I think it would transform even our kids being like, oh my gosh, this is cool. Yeah. Not to mention, I think it might be good for city employees. <laughs> like, think about it. Young people challenging how we're doing stuff, mm-hmm. breaking down the cultural barriers and systems we've created that are separating their community from the very services we're trying to provide. Yeah. And they got energy. And they got, and, and serious judgment. <laughs> yeah. That's not, not so bad. Yeah. Nah. But it's, it's, that seems like a really concrete thing. That makes, that makes me excited if we could pull that off. Cause I think that's what kids, <laughs> we ask students, we're like, all right, like, what would you need? You know? And we're trying to, we're about to pilot this new program here in August. And one student said, uh, look, man, every time y'all bring somebody in here to talk to me about a career, it's either the straight A student that knew they were going to be a lawyer since they were like five, right? Or it's some random white guy coming in telling me about something I never heard of before. Like, where are my people at? Like, what's actually, you know, what's actually there? And uh, so much of it is just exposure to even know what you want to go after. So true. Um, That would be awesome. It'd be so cool. Mm -hmm. Makes you want to go back to high school, doesn't it? It does. does. I would have done a lot of stuff differently in high school. (laughs) Yeah, you and me both. (laughs) So let's switch up a little bit around, you know, we we like to ask these like probing questions with our alumni. What's something that gives you childlike joy right now? Hmm. Where are you finding joy? Uh, I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, Well, I'm a, uh, I've commuted on my bike for 30 years to work. Hmm. Uh, I commuted in early days. I raised my girls in Southwest Denver and I commuted downtown. It's about 25 miles round trip because it was cheaper. Yeah. Like I didn't have to pay for parking. I didn't have to pay for gas. And it was about the money. Now for me, it's about the joy of just the freedom of being on my bike, letting go of your day or yeah. uh, getting your head into it on your way in. I love it. So I would just say riding my bike takes me right back to when I was a little girl, you yeah. know, my first uh, bike with a big old banana seat. And <laughs> um, so that brings me a lot of joy. But there's another thing, um, you know, when you go to a, 
a local coffee shop and it's real artisans mm -hmm. making you that latte, which I'm a big fan of. And they put that heart on top. Yo, yeah. And they hand it to you. And my heart just fills with this person took the time to put this little piece of joy and beauty into my day as I drink my coffee. I love it. Yeah. I was like, how do they do that? I know. You know I um, want to be trained. Yeah, for real. <laughs> no, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And we need a lot more local coffee shops. We're seeing a lot of these we things close do. down, especially yeah. our black and brown owned ones. Yeah. Seeing them. Yeah. If you, uh, I've had coffee in almost every coffee shop in Denver. I and I got to tell you, I'm going to highlight two Prodigy. Just rock star, and then Cool Beans, which yeah. is uh, Girls Inc. over on yeah, yeah. yeah. just awesome. I wonder how much uh, the coffee budget is for a mayoral race. You know? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like you need it. Like <laughs> yo, how you staying awake? How you staying awake? So the last question I have for you is, you know, you talk a lot about community. You talk a lot about you know the people around you, um, and I think people are mistaken when we vote for anything: mayor, president, school board member, whatever. But we think they have like all the control and making all the decisions <laughs> all day. Um, You've touched on this a little bit, but how do you how do you think strategically or what's your approach to building a team around you? Um, and like, what do people need to know that the mayor actually controls and has final say over? Yeah, so the mayor, it is still a strong mayor form of government in Denver, and the mayor makes a lot of decisions um, about the day-to-day -day operations, mm -hmm. you know, it's the part we don't talk about much, like, uh, you know, filling potholes and plowing the roads <laughs> yeah. and making sure you can make your plane when you get to the airport. Yeah. Um, and frankly, making sure our families have the safety net services they need to get through their week. Um, so it's not always as sexy as we talk yeah. about, but to me, it's, it's what makes it work for everybody and it's critical. Um, but I'm thrilled uh, to share with you a little of how I think about it. Cause one of the things I've noticed when you run for office is everybody asks you questions like you have the answer to everything. Yeah. And I always feel like when I say, hey, listen, I don't know how we're going to do this one. I'm going to need some help. Like it's the wrong answer. Mm. And the truth is there's so many things, none of us. It, listen, if they were all so easy to solve, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be dealing with them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it is all about the team, mm -hmm. both in terms of their style and their willingness to say when they don't know and to engage community and to respect the team that you're working with, who's already with the city. So here's how I'm thinking about it. This is how I've hired my entire career and it drives my teams crazy. <laughs> Even when I've had full authority to just hire whoever I want, I create a stakeholder group for the job. So mm -hmm. think of a cabinet position. Mm -hmm. um, and so I bring in people who not only see that position differently, but they probably want different things from the person mm. in that position. And they come from different backgrounds and race and industries. And, and I put them all in a room together. Yeah. And I say to them, review all of the applicants for this job and then give me the top three or four. Mm. And I do it for two reasons. One is my experience is way more diverse applicants will apply when they see a team like that, because they believe they got a better shot at coming out the other yeah. side. Probably a lot more people saying, hey, apply for this job too. That's <laughs> right. And, and they see themselves in it then because they're like, there's somebody sitting at that table who looks like me, thinks like me, has a background like me. Yeah. I really want that. That's the way you get your best talent. Yeah. But the second thing, probably even more importantly or as important is I've learned uh, one thing and that is your success in a position almost always has to do with people deciding they're going to help you be successful. And yep. we don't talk about this a lot, 
Uh, but this is my truth in my life. And what helps people decide they're going to invest, including give you bad news when you need it, is when they're part of picking you. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I have a whole team in the community who says we helped pick that person and we're going to help that person do their job and be successful at it yeah. in all the ways that we require that. And yeah. so that's how I'm thinking about building a city is with community. With the community. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I told you last question before, but I lied. I got <laughs> one more for you. I'm enjoying the conversation. Um, you know, I, I, we talk a lot to, you know, younger alumni. 18 to 25. I mean, shoot, even myself, almost 30, and I feel old, Kelly. I don't know what's going on. I have a 29-year-old <laughs> alumni. <laughs> so you're looking at me, oh, you're the 29-year-old used to come and rock with that new. <laughs> but we talk a lot about how do you actually make change happen and how do you actually engage with the people that make these decisions. Um, and it's not always hooping and hollering. It's not always, you know, whatever the case may be. In your, in your mind, um, should you become mayor, what would be your best advice to young alumni that want to see change, that might need to push back on you. Um, how do they engage best yeah. with the leader? Yeah, this is, I'm going to put responsibility on both of us because you asked the question about their responsibility. There's some on us too, the, mm. you know, the leadership for your city to say, let's make it a little easier mm. where you don't have to, you know, knock on the door, push the door down, yeah. beg for time. Uh, like I'd be interested in exploring what are the ways we make it easier for your voice to be heard and be part of the city. And the first way of course is vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, this is probably this and city council are probably the top two decisions that will impact your life in terms of an elected official yeah. uh, and school board. Yeah. Um, and you gotta make sure your voice is heard. So that'd be the first. And then the second would be, let's build a structure that makes sure our young voices are coming in, really impacting, um, not just the decisions we're making going forward, but breaking down the systems we've already built. Yeah. Because those systems are what keep voices out. Yeah. And sometimes built with intention uh, long before you and I got here, mm -hmm. but that means they can be unbuilt with intention. Yeah. And I'm gonna need the help to do that. And so I'll be reaching out, but I would also say, you're not gonna have to push hard. Yeah to get my attention and to help do this work. And so please reach out yeah. and let's do it together. Love it. Anything else you want people to know that maybe they haven't heard on the campaign trail or on these debates when you have a minute and a half to speak, to <laughs> respond? What should we know about Kelly? Yeah, there is, there is nothing you don't know about me. <laughs> I'll say this, every beautiful thing I have in my life came because I chose Denver. <laughs> and I'm just, I have so much gratitude for that. I wanna make sure that every Every alumni of Denver Public Schools feels the same way. Every beautiful thing I have is because Denver was my city. Uh, I'm committed to making sure that's how we all feel. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. This was so fun. <laughs> it was. Appreciate you. Peace.